This week on Raffi Reviews, Raffi Reviews, Black Panther. Delivering hell, puddles of blood in the street, shooters on top of the building, government aid in relief, earthquake, the body drop, the ground breaks, the poor run with smoke lungs and scar face. Who need a hero? Hero. You need a hero. Look in the mirror, there go your hero. Who on the front lines at ground zero? Hero. My heart don't skip a beat even when hard times bumps the needle. Mass destruction and mass corruption, the souls are suffering men. Clutching on deaf ears again, rapture is coming. It's all prophecy and if I gotta be sacrificed for the greater good, then that's what it gotta be. Let's get the uh, obvious out of the way, address the Wakandan elephant in the room, if you will. Um, the hype surrounding this movie is kind of like that force field that Black Panther can like create from his suit. You know, the, the parts of the movies where all the kinetic energy charged into his Black Panther costume can be out-pushed in a wave that just pushes everyone aside? That's a metaphor for the hype surrounding Black Panther. I have never, uh, in my time of, like, watching superhero movies, seen so much hype surrounding this movie. And it's not just because it's a Marvel movie, for the obvious reason. It's also because it is, for a lot of people, like, the first black superhero in film form. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of people out there who'll be like, well, you know, actually, actually, Blade had a series of movies in the 90s despite the fact that he is indeed a combo character, but at that point, I wouldn't really call him a superhero. Like, even now, that's kind of a... Like, he's been on one Avenger team. I don't know. It's not the same. You know, it would be like... I don't know. It would be like if they made a, a Shang-Chi movie, and everyone was just like, all right, cool, it's a kung fu movie. And then, like, Amadeus Cho, the Hulk, got a superhero movie, and people were like, oh, it's the first Asian superhero movie, whatever. It's like that, basically. But, like, and Hancock didn't count. <laughs> Neither did that one, um, what was that, Mercury Man or something? It was like an Eddie Murphy superhero movie. I forget what it was. But uh, what I'm saying is, for all intents and purposes, this is the first real, like, positive, like, not positive, but, like, there's no... Doubt this is the, the the first black superhero movie. It's not the first black comic book movie. First, you know, there's also Django and Change or whatever. Um, but no, th this is the first of its kind and it has a lot of hype surrounding it. It's also because like the whole movie is about like the setting is a is a fictional country in Africa that has been untouched by any other country and they are the most advanced civilization on Earth. So. That's one of those things where black people will, will look at that premise and say, oh, what an idea. What an idea I can, I can turn my nose up and, and, and look at, like, the white people in this universe. And I don't mean to, like, oh God, why is this so, like, hard to talk about? Like, if you're listening to this, you've probably listened to other podcasts. You know me well enough by now. I'm not the kind of person who's gonna... When I say black and white people, I say it as a way to help have you people understand the people I'm referring to. I'm not saying it for, like, a racial shortcut or whatever. But this... <laughs> I gotta stop protecting myself and actually talk about the obvious with this film. The obvious is that there's a lot of hype surrounding it, which means there are people out there who may have something negative to say about it, 
and there are people out there who are so positive about the movie and so personally invested in the film in the same way that like many communities are connected to a fandom that if you if you criticize anything about it they'll they'll go off on you and you know I feel <laughs> it's one of those tough situations because some sometimes it's justified sometimes I've I've seen reviews for Black Panther. I looked for negative ones just to give me an idea of what the common complaints were that other people had and kind of bounce those against my own criticisms with the film, of which I have a few. Um, and, and, and mostly I just saw people that liked the film and had a few criticisms, but then I saw a few people who did have a lot of bad things to say about it and coincidentally, those people that had a lot of bad things to say were on a side of the fence that I'm not on, uh, if you if you catch my drift. These were people who basically saw Black Panther as a big SJW uh, liberal parade of, of celebration and, and, and kind of like an attempt to an attempt to make fun of a community of people, specifically white people. Um, specifically, the complaints I saw were uh, references to... One of the characters in the film calls, some, calls a white person a colonizer. Uh, she also, when that white person... Is, I mean, you've probably seen the film by now, but like... When Everett Ross is brought in and he's got like an injured spine, sure he says, "Oh, nice. Oh, great. Another white person we have to fix, or oh, Wakanda, we fix white people, something like that." Um, another another broken white boy we got to fix, which um, references the whole uh, Bucky situation. Um, I saw complaints about that, and I'm kind of just like, "Why is that a problem?" You know, um, the whole colonizer, the white boy thing. A lot of the negative reviewers kind of stuck that up to being, uh, I don't know what the, what the term would be. Again, it's a really tough angle for me to come at, because I, I review superhero movies. I don't review social commentary, and I, I try to talk about the social commentary, and I try to talk about the point. And a lot of the time, I understand what I'm looking at, but explaining it is difficult uh, because I want to get it as correct as I can. But, essentially, if you look far enough into this movie and the negativity behind it, you know what I'm talking about. But, I'm not here to tell you things you already know. I'm here to tell you things I think. And, for one thing, I think, in terms of the obvious kind of hype and negativity towards the film, I think it's just, I think it's just human nature that people behave the way, the, the way they have towards Black Panther. You know, it, if this came out a few years ago, I think we would have gotten a... If this came out, like, 20 years ago, it would have been a much different world, and we would have had a much different outlook on it. I think the positivity still would have been there, um, but I think it would have been kind of less. You know, this came out at a very relevant point in world culture and, and recent events that have been happening. And so for this to come out now, uh, and to have a name like Black Panther, which I know a lot of people... <laughs> a lot of people who don't like to use Google for some reason uh, misunderstood and thought that this movie was named after the Black Panther movement, when in fact Black Panther was a character created before the movement. So, again, a lot of 
kind of just ignorant confusion on, on the part of some people. But, yeah, in, in terms of the obvious, in terms of all the hype it got for being a, a black superhero movie, I'm, I'm going to ignore that. I'm not going to be the reviewer who goes, oh, this is the best thing to ever happen in black history. Um, if you don't like this movie, then that means you're a racist. Or if you don't like this movie, it means you don't get it or appreciate what it does for the black community and black culture. Uh, I'm not going to be that person. You know, I... <laughs> I hate, one of my pet peeves with people is when they are like, no, I, I don't want to get into that, <laughs> I really, see what I mean? I feel like this is the hardest review I've ever had to do because of the subject matter, so I'm just going to cut right to the rest of the review and, and let you guys know I'm not going to let the obvious hype and kind of the outside world, basically, affect what this movie's about and what I think about this movie. Now, as always, I will start with the cast, give my thoughts on some of the portrayals and, uh, uh, what is it, performances from the actors. Uh, first of all, we have, obviously, Chadwick, Bo uh, Chadwick Boseman as King T'Challa, a.k.a. Black Panther. And, uh, re really smooth guy, I gotta tell you. Like, on first impressions, like, really calm, kind of collective guy, um... I think it took me aback, and I think it took a lot of people aback that we have a character who isn't especially humorous, because you don't really have a lot of that in the current Marvel, because, you know, you look at Ant-Man, he's got a sense of humor, Doctor Strange makes jokes, um, you know, Iron Man is an asshole, Thor is very funny, um, but Black Panther is much more, I don't want to say serious, I want to say he's much more composed. There are moments where I laughed at, at Bozeman's uh, humor. And uh, a lot of that came from, like, personal interactions. You know, I, I, I found myself just kind of smiling more than laughing at the things that Black Panther did. Specifically how he acts towards his sister. You know, he's got a lot, he's got a lot of funny interactions with his sister, which really plays up the, the brother-sister role. And we'll talk about that more when we get to his sister, Shuri. Um, but yeah, he just really composed. It really kind of set a difference, because, like, one of my complaints with, like, say, Doctor Strange was that I assumed Doctor Strange would have been a bit more serious and a bit more uptight, um, when in actuality he kind of just ended up being a diet Tony Stark, and I know that's probably a controversial thing to say to people that do like Doctor Strange, uh, like my friend David, fuck him, um, <coughs> um, but, like, it, it's really cool because this is one of those, uh, few instances where a character shows up in a Marvel movie and then gets a movie. Um, I guess Spider-Man's the only other character that you can really say about that. And saying that out loud might be wrong. I don't think I am. Yeah, I don't think I am. I think, yeah. Black Panther and Spider-Man are the only characters to show up in a Marvel movie and then get movies afterwards. So, it's interesting. Because Civil War gave us this kind of rage-infused version of Black Panther who, you know, I, I had said about him in Civil War, like, there's enough mystery to keep you interested in what Black Panther is all about. Um, and, like, they mention the nation of Wakanda in that film, but they never show it. And, again, the whole plot is just him in Civil War, anyway. His whole story in that movie is chasing down Bucky because he thought Bucky killed his parents, or killed his father. Um, then he finds out Zemo did it at the end, and instead of killing Zemo, uh, I, think he said, I think he says something like, like, the world is not done with you, or you don't deserve death, just some kind of thing where it's like, like, 
if I kill you, you'll be like, <laughs> if I kill you, it's the easy way. It's the easy way out. But I'm not gonna let. I'm not gonna ha let that happen. I'm gonna let you suffer in in like prison or whatever. But essentially, you got to see Black Panther go through a, a little mini arc in Civil War, where instead of doing what I guess doing when like an amateur or a juvenile would do and just completely kill someone for killing his father, Black Panther takes a much more mature, adult, um, responsible way of handling Zemo and avenging his father. And that kind of gives you a preview into the Black Panther you get here, who is being deemed king. And obviously the learning curve in this film, for him, is that being a king, it, it ain't easy. <laughs> it's, it's the thing that I think everyone has to kind of come to terms with. You know, it, being a king isn't easy. Um, and, and there's a line in the film that I think really kind of defines the the plot for Black Panther in this. is uh, His father tells him, it's hard to be a good man and a good king. So I, I, I like that message. Um, and, and Bozeman does it well. He's a, There are a lot of, like, a lot of emotional scenes with him in regards to, like, the sins of his forefathers and basically secrets that are kept from him despite the fact that he is the king and he kind of has to react to that and it's a really nice message because in this film Black Panther has to deal with the villain who is basically the uh what is the word he is the result of his father's um mistake as a king his father's choice as a king resulted in this in this villain coming to Wakanda and questioning his rule and wanting to overthrow, and wanting to overthrow the whole world with Wakandan weapons, um, and that whole thing is a result of a choice his father made that wasn't really a good choice. It was just a choice from a king who wanted to keep his uh, his kingdom secret, and so now T'Challa has to kind of deal with that, and also face a world where, like, he wants Wakanda to be known. He wants to he wants to be the first king to say no. Let's step away from tradition and do things a bit differently. And I like that because it's basically a message of the current generation kind of cleaning up the mess of the past generations and trying to make steps forward to make the future better for the people that come next. And I think that's a really kind of relevant message for today's world. Um, you know, you, you see all kinds of people these days saying whatever the problem is with the world is the result of the last generation. You know, the last 10 years caused this to happen, and now we in the modern day are kind of dealing with that. So we have to put our best foot forward and try and make an effort to making the world better so that our children and our children's children don't have to deal with the stuff we dealt with. And that's a very noble message to push uh, through Black Panther himself. And again, like, the actual Black Panther suit, like talking about some superhero shit right now. <laughs> um, God damn, like, like well, the Iron Man movies are like suspended disbelief in terms of technology. But you also watch Iron Man and you're like, you know what, we can get there. Like holograms and metal suits and like, you know, iron gloves that detect to your watch and they fly towards you. We could get there, right? Black Panther is just like, you'll never get here. <laughs> like, we have, everything we have is vibranium. 
everything. Like, we have hologram technology that uses, like, grains of vibranium. We have little vibranium beads around our necks or our wrists that, like, we tap them and it can do anything. Like, one, like one bead of vibranium is like a smartphone. It can do anything. <laughs> like, we can put vibranium in your body and it, it will heal you. <laughs> like, vibranium is like... Like, every... It's like a... I don't want to say a, de a deus ex machina because that, that kind of, like, ruins it. But, like, it's like this wonder material that could be used for anything. I wouldn't be surprised if they eat vibranium or they... Their utensils are made out of vibranium. Like, everything that is that culture is vibranium. It even affected the plant life, which they explained to you in the opening of the film, is that, like, a vibranium meteor hit a part of Africa and changed the landscape. It just kind of made it better. And it was a result of the vibranium that we got, the heart-shaped herb that gives Black Panther his powers. Um, which, like... To get into a little criticism, since we're already talking about the Black Panther himself, um, it seems kind of weird, to me at least, that, like, a cure for the heart-shaped herb is kind of readily available. Especially, you know, spoilers for the entire movie. I know, I, I should have said that earlier, but especially now that uh, Forrest Whitaker's character is dead, like, the guy that would make the stuff that would undo the heart-shaped herb... That seems like an open problem to, to you know, if, if he's the only one that knew how to do it. If that's, like, there's only one guy in Wakanda that knows how to undo the effects of the heart-shaped herb, I get that. But if he, like, passed his knowledge on, you know, uh, anyone could get that liquid and just pour it down to Charles throat. Um, but, like, I don't know. that. I feel like I should save my problems for, like, the very end. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna save him, but yeah, so, as far as Bozeman's performance, I really like him as Black Panther, um, you see all kinds of layers of him, you see the funny, you see the charming, you see kind of the emotional and regretful, and you see the rage, and, uh, I'm really happy we have a character that gets that many dimensions, and, and again, his, his personal journey in this film is very conscious to the world today, and I think that's really cool, um, then we'll get to his love, his love interest for the movie, uh, Lupita Nyong'o. Uh, she plays uh, Nakia, who is a spy for Wakanda, who has been over uh, a couple countries, knows many languages, and uh, she is the former lover of Black Panther, and by the end they are together again. And uh, she was okay. Not not much I can really say about her. Her personal journey is, like, being around the world, she's kind of seen, like, the worst of it. And she kind of subscribes to the, to the idea of Wakanda giving their, their aid and their tools to other countries. And she isn't, like, progressive, progressively horrible about it the way, like, Killmonger is. <clears throat> but she does have just this kind of viewpoint in terms of what Wakanda should do for the rest of the world, that Black Panther is kind of afraid to share at first, because obviously every Black Panther before him has wanted to stay sheltered from the rest of the world, otherwise the rest of the world could steal their technology and destroy each other with it, you know? Um, but Nakia and T'Challa have kind of that opposition as to what to do 
in terms of the rest of the world. And by the end, they kind of come to this agreement, and and it's nice. You know, it's a, it's a little plot. She all she is is basically like the conscious of Black Panther in terms of helping the rest of the world, and I think she does that job pretty well. She has uh, some some okay fight scenes. Um, it's kind of weird. Towards the end, she uses like these rings, and I don't think I can't remember her using the rings at any other point in the movie. It would have been nice to like have some reference to that. She doesn't know how to fight, so there are some fight scenes with her. Uh, but again, she does an okay job. I know in the comics, Nakia's character is a villain uh, who is basically obsessed with the Black Panther in like a romantic way. So I'm wondering if they might change that in the future or just keep her a supporting character. I think they'll probably keep her a supporting character um, mainly because like Black Panther doesn't have a lot of big villains, but he has enough villains to kind of flesh out a trilogy of movies, and you can still do that without using her as a villain. But that is up to debate debate here. Um, let's see. Oh, yeah. Um, Danai Gurira as o Okia. Um, she is one of the member of the Dora Milaje, which is the um, all-female kind of special forces of Wakanda. The, the guards, basically, who are all bald. Um, she was awesome. <laughs> I gotta tell you, she was one of my favorites in this film. Um, she was she was funny because of how kind of serious and grit she was, and all the moments she couldn't be that way. Um, specifically, the the wig scene, how ridiculous she felt about it, um, which I thought was a nice little like a nice little point to women, like because I know there's like, and I may just have gotten this from like movies and TV, but like I know there's like a thing with African American women who have like problems with their hair, or they can't get it the way they want it to be, so they wear weaves over their heads, um, so I think that was a, kind of, like, a nice little reference to that, not as, like, a, a shame on you kind of joke, but more of, like, a take a, take pride of what you have kind of joke, um, that's just what I think, but she was a real badass in this film, she had a lot of awesome fight scenes, uh, especially with the vibrating spear, that vibrating spear was freaking cool with all the stuff it could do, especially, uh, flipping the car in that car chase, uh, scene, that was cool. Uh, again, just kind of like, like as far, as far as the supporting character goes, she she does something very different because a lot of supporting characters in Marvel right now, in the Marvel movies anyway, are kind of just like softer, pat your back supporting characters, where she is kind of like, for one thing, she's like a bodyguard, and you you see her in a uh, Civil War, almost go at it with Black Widow, and that kind of gives you the indication of how tough she is. And in this one, you, you get to see that. And it's it's really awesome. You get a supporting character that isn't necessarily there to pat Black Panther's back, but to just kind of back him up and defend him. Uh, and again, that's that's another theme to this film of, like, Wakanda works by a king basis. And, like, these female guards aren't serving the king out of some, like, like uh, what is it, sexual pretense. Like, it's not like all these women defend Black Panther because, oh, it's Black Panther, he's our man. Like, it's not that. It's, for one thing, it's, you know, a, a, I don't know if the word is dictatorship. I don't know, I'm not a political person, but, like, it's not just the whole fact that he's a king, it's the fact that, you know, if you're offended by the fact that Black Panther is defended by all these beautiful women, you shouldn't be. You should actually be kind of honored and impressed because his entire, like, 
elite force, like th these are the best fighters in Wakanda, and they're all women with like spears. It's it's real. It's a cool idea, I think. Um, I'm excited to see them like in more places because that's just a really neat concept. Um, but yeah, she she did a really awesome job, and and again, much much like some of the characters, she had a personal arc in this film. Um, when Eric Killmonger becomes king of Wakanda, uh, Nadia tries to leave with uh, Okoye, and Okoye is like, I can't leave. Like, he, Killmonger is king. I have to stay with him and defend the king. That is my duty. That is what I've always lived to do, and if, if I stop doing that, and if I betray him, you know, I, I give up every, like, it's, it's the, what is it? It's the heart versus, like, the, versus the job kind of thing, you know? Like, she, she's pledged her life to defend, to defend the king of, uh, Wakanda. And, to her knowledge, at that point, Killmonger is king. And she can't really do anything about that. Up until she does something about that. <laughs> um, but no, she was really cool. I like Okoye in this movie. Um, let's see... Oh, uh, Daniel, uh, Daniel Koyula, uh, he was the main character in, um, Get Out. I, I liked him in this film. He plays, um, Wakabi, who leads the, the border tribe, which is pretty self-explanatory, and, like, he raises, like, war, like, war rhinos, which is such a cool, like, I remember talking to a friend at work before he saw Black Panther, and he's like, hey man, how was Black Panther? And I said, two words. War rhinos. <laughs> um, but yeah, he he's the leader of the or the head of security for the border tribe, and he's T'Challa's best friend. Apparently, they've been best friends for like ever. Um, and I don't know how I felt about his character direction specifically because every king. Okay, so Wakabi's father was murdered by Louisi Ulysses Claw, um, and. Because the previous kings of Wakanda don't want to interact with the outside world, Claw was never captured by Wakandan forces, and the last king, T'Chaka, T'Challa's dad, never made an effort to hunt down Claw and, like, arrest him or kill him or anything. And, uh, what is it? Wakabi always kind of resented him for that. So, when T'Challa becomes king, and he makes an effort to capture Claw, and Claw gets away, he comes back to Wakanda to tell Wakabi that, and Wakabi's like, oh, nothing's changed, and he leaves. And then later on, Killmonger will bring the dead body of Claw to Wakanda. Coincidentally, he'll bring it to Wakabi. Like, he gets to Wakanda. First person that meets him, oh, I guess it's not coincidental, because it's the border. But again, Killmonger had no idea that Wakabi's father was murdered by this guy he just killed. But anyway, um... He shows up with Claw, and then Wakabi's like, Oh, you kill Claw. I, I am completely on, the, on your side. When you try to overthrow Wakanda, I will be on your side. I will be, like, your supporter. Like, he doesn't say all that. But again, when the time comes and, and Killmonger is the king of Wakanda, like, Wakabi is, like, right on his right hands. Like, he is, he is his best friend now. Um, he is on his side. And uh, I thought that was really stupid. Like... <laughs> Like, first complaint of the film, but I thought that was, like, really bullshit. For for Wakabi to be de described as T'Challa's best friend, and 
to know that the only reason his, like, his father hasn't been avenged is because of Wakandan law. And then T'Challa says, I'm going to go and get Claw for you. And then he comes back and said, I couldn't get him, he escaped. Like, I don't know about you, but if I was in Wakabi's shoes, I would not immediately have been like, you fuck. Like, you messed up. Nothing's changed. You're just like your father. And then walk away. Like, he went out and tried to get Claw. Like, if... If T'Challa walked up to him and said, yeah, I just let him get away. I just told him to run. I, I know, like, I, I just, I decided to do that. I decided to let Claw leave. We'll get him another time, right? I could see Wakabi being mad enough to do what he does in this film. But to be like, he got away. He escaped us. I couldn't catch him. I failed you. I'm sorry. And then he's still just like, you're just like your father. Like, what? But his fa T'Challa's father didn't even try to catch Claw. T'Challa tried once, messed up, and now Wakabi is, is, is like, fuck him, fuck T'Challa, you're not my friend anymore, you're just like your dad, like, that is so dumb. Um, so yeah, there's your first complaint of the review, people, Wakabi's character is dumb. Um, especially dumb when he tries to fight his wife with a rhino. <laughs> um, let's see, Latita Wright, uh, Shuri, and uh, Shuri is the character who is T'Challa's sister, she's like 16 years old, and she is the character that everybody loves. <laughs> she is the, uh, what is it? She is the Louise of this movie, she is the, uh, the, uh, God, what's Peter's best friend, um, in, in, in Homecoming? He's the Ned lead, she's the Ned Leeds of this movie, she is the Korg of this movie, she, she's the funny character that everyone loves and everyone wants want more of. And everyone's posting stuff online of like, give her her own movie, give us, give us two hours of funny. But on the real though, Sherry's character is pretty neat. Uh, I, I liked her a lot. Uh, she is like confirmed smarter than Tony Stark, which I think is gonna piss a lot of people off. But like, whatever. I actually think that might have been like, maybe not on purpose, but it ended up being kind of like a similar thing to what happened with in, in the comics. Tony was replaced by this. Not really replaced, but, like, he had this protege, Riri Williams, who was this African-American girl, who was also, like, just as smart as Tony. So I'm, I'm wondering if a little bit of that kind of seeped its way into, into Shuri. But, like, again, despite being smarter than Tony Stark, Shuri is, like... Again, she's a teenager, so she's got a sense of humor. She's the one that... And, and actually, now that I think of it, She's the one that calls Everett Ross a colonizer. She's the one that says, oh, here in Wakanda we fix broken white boys. Um, she has, like, a line about a meme, which I'm going to get to soon. She does all that, and she's, like, the youngest character on the cast. So, honestly, if any character is going to make jokes and references like that, it's going to be the youngest character, especially in a day and age where... A day and age where, like, young people are more kind of bold and outspoken about stuff racially and how it's kind of comical like he like she's almost like a tumblr teen basically with with the stuff that she says but she's smart enough and scientific enough that she comes off more mature than that so she's a nice kind of middle ground between two types of people um she's also like q from like the james bond movies because there's a whole scene where she's like giving t'challa technology like half of which he'll actually use <laughs> Um, no, that's not true. He, I think he uses all of it, which is nice, unlike Bond. I think Bond just ends up blowing it up in most of the movies. Um, 
but that was cool. I like her being kind of like the tech specialist for T'Challa. Um, and again, the relationship between T'Challa and Shuri, the brother-sister thing, it really shows in this film, and, and it's really kind of cool. Um, because they have a lot of, like... They have a lot of moments where, they're, you know, uh, they're supportive and, like, friendly towards each other, but they also have moments where they tease each other, and there's a part where Shuri, like, flips Black Panther off, and, uh... Oh, there's that bit where... Like, this is all in the lab part, and the lab part is probably where most of the comedy comes from in this film. But Black Panther, like, hits this new Black Panther suit, and then he goes to hit it again, and it bounces him back using kinetic force. And fucking sure he's taking a video of it the whole time, and as soon as he gets up, the child's like, delete that recording. <laughs> um, but I love that. I love the friendly kind of down-to-earth humor behind that because this whole movie is like suspend your disbelief imagine a futuristic city placed in the middle of africa hidden and disguised as some podunk village and and imagine all this amazing jack kirby and technology and, and stuff and and also we have a brother-sister joke where the brother does something embarrassing and the sister records it like that is so great i love that 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 makes the whole movie feel way more human uh, if it didn't have that comedy, if it didn't have those relationships, it wouldn't feel as human as it does. It would have felt like a typical superhero, like, sci-fi movie. But she's really cool. She's got, like, a part where, during, like, the big war at the end, she takes out, like, repulsors, basically, like, how Iron Man has. Um, and they have, like, black, like, they have, like, panther heads on them, which is really cool. Um, yeah, she's cool. I know a lot of people are like, alright, well, <laughs> I, I saw my cousin Jeff post online, like, Alright, towards the end of Avengers 3, Black Panther gets in a coma, sure he has to become Black Panther. Like, <laughs> sure, sure, get the new guy out of the way real quick so we can get his sister involved. I don't know, if Bla if Shuri's gonna become Black Panther, I don't think it's gonna happen until, like, movie 3 at, like, the very beginning or something. Uh, which would be cool. Like, a little torch-passing movie would be kinda neat. I don't want T'Challa to die. I think he could definitely take some time off, go back to America, learn a little bit about himself. And, you know, you could see Shuri kind of take up the mantle later on. But that's, again, that's like movie three stuff. But she's really cool. Um, let's see. Winston Duke as M'Baku, who in the comics is a villain called Manape, which I felt they changed the name of for uh, racial reasons. <laughs> um, but he's cool. Uh, M'Baku is like the, the leader of like the strong guy tribe of, of Wakanda. He's like their tribe, which I think is called the, the White Gorilla Tribe or something, the Mountain Tribe, um, their kind of avatar is a gorilla, because in the world of Wakanda, um, I'm going to say, I, I said world, you know, because it, it is a city, but it feels like a whole other world, um, but they, instead of worshiping, worshiping the panther god, they worship the uh, ape god, which, you know, gives you a little bit more insight into kind of how religion and belief works in, in Wakanda, uh, his actual getup is pretty neat, too, because in the comics, he wears an actual, like, white ape that he killed and skinned. Um, but in the movie, he just, like he has, like, a cape that's kind of just made out of the pelt of a gorilla. So that's kind of a cool reference to that. Um, the white gorilla, like, the sorry, the mountain tribe are, are just kind of really cool in general because, again, they are the most tribal savage of tribes, and, like, Despite the fact that everyone looks at them like the black sheep of the family, they are still a welcomed part of Wakanda. Um, but still, at first, like, 
you get to see Black Panther's council, which is made up of leaders of different tribes in Wakanda, but the but there's no representative from the Mountain Tribe, which gives the which confers to you the idea of like, oh, they're like they're like there, but like they're like the bastard tribe of everyone. <laughs> um, they don't use vibranium, I don't think either. But like. Mbaku, Mbaku also is is a very humorous character. Uh, when what is it? When the supporting cast go to him seeking his help, uh, Everett Ross tries to talk and he just interrupts him by like, like making sounds. Um, and then he says he'll feed Everett Ross to his children. And then a moment passes and he's like, "I'm just kidding. We're all vegetarians here." And he laughs. Like I love that moment, man. That's that's that like blusterous humor that this this character really needed. To be likable, um, and it is kind of a nice idea to know that everyone in the Mountain Tribe is a vegetarian. Like that's that's kind of progressive in a way. Um, but he's cool, and like, uh, what is it? By the end of the by the end of the the movie, he's what is it? Uh, Mbaku is on the on the council. He's part of the council now. That's really cool. It really shows again progression for his character that he's willing to not only help T'Challa regain his throne, but also be kind of supportive enough to, like, be part of the council. Because I imagine it's one of those things where they didn't want to be on there, and over time he was just kind of like, good, I don't want to be on there. And then he kind of took to the role by the end of the film, and that's, you know, it, it, it shows nice progression. Um, uh, Angela Bassett as Ramonda. She is uh, T'Challa and Shuri's mother and the Queen of Wakanda. And, uh, she doesn't really provide much to the film other than, like, you know, being a supporting character to T'Challa and everything. But I really appreciate that she's in this film because a lot of Marvel movies and a lot of superhero movies in general focus a lot on the father-son relationship. And that's true in this film, too, because T'Challa goes to the spirit realm or whatever and sees his ancestors, all the past Black Panthers, and they're all, you know, fathers and grandfathers and so on and so forth. So the mothers don't play a huge role in the Black Panther lineage. So, to have a supporting character be his mother, and, you know, be supportive, and have her own ideals and, and beliefs and support of her son, you know, it's not a huge step, but it's it's a step in the right direction in terms of how mothers are treated in comic book movies. Because, again, like, there are some small steps there. Like, when, when Tony Stark found out Bucky killed his parents, he didn't say, he killed my parents, he said, he killed my mom, you know? I, I think that we're getting there in terms of, like, making the mom the main parental figure that everyone kind of focuses on instead of the father. Um, so that was cool. Uh, Forrest Whitaker as uh, Zuri, the the priest, I guess. The guy that grows and, and watches over the heart, the heart-shaped herbs. The guy that can make the, <laughs> the smoothie mix that undoes the herbs' powers. Um, he's also very intrinsically tied to Killmonger's origin story, so, I don't know, there's not much I can say about him, he, he kind of fills out the, the uncle position, uh, his relationship with Black Panther gets really good, there's emotional moments between the two of them, uh, sadly his character does die, um, which gives Black Panther that, like, Phil Coulson moment, or Nick Fury moment, or, you know, Uncle Ben moment, <laughs> which actually kind of hurts, because I think Black Panther had two Uncle Ben moments, <laughs> um, but yeah, I thought, I thought he was an okay character. You know, there, there's not a lot I can say. Um, Everett Ross, who is played by Martin Freeman, is also in this film. And he's the one white guy in the movie. 
Uh, I like him. I like him a lot. Uh, maybe not a whole lot. He, he kind of just fills out the basic outsider character. I know a lot of people were saying, like, oh, he didn't even have to be in this movie. He barely did anything. It should have been all African-American actors. He didn't have to be here. Um, I'm going to say you're wrong, because <laughs> there's this little thing in movies in the film industry called uh, The Outsider. And uh, The Outsider is usually a position filled in a movie that gives the audience a character to relate to who's going through the same experience as the audience. And in this movie, where the main cast, almost everyone in the film is from Wakanda, and so they don't kind of react to the amazingness of Wakanda because they live there, um, you as the audience member are experiencing that for yourself. So Martin Freeman's character of uh, Everett Ross is there to be like you, to see Wakanda and be amazed and ask questions about how stuff works there and and be, you know, <laughs> ironically, and be the black sheep of the whole situation. That's, that's it, his purpose as a character. Um, so I don't mind him. I think he's an okay character. Um, I felt the reason for, for them bringing him to Wakanda was kind of, kind of contrived, kind of a little, kind of a little dumb. <laughs> um, I know Ross helped Black Panther in Civil War, and so Black Panther figured he owed him. But, like, a spinal injury from a gunshot, I don't know. It feels really, like, kind of forced and, and coincidental. I feel you could have done something a lot more than that, but regardless, um... I like this character. He didn't, you know, blow me out of the water, but I think he did well. And I, I like that they included him in the final action scene. I know a lot of people were like, oh, he should have had a fight scene where he escaped Shuri's lab because there was probably going to be guards there. Um, I would have liked that. I would have liked to see Martin Freeman get a little hand-to-hand because -hand, he is an FBI agent. He he does have a fight scene during the casino part, so it would have been kind of cool to see him escape Shuri's lab just by fighting people. Um, but for what it's worth, I liked his involvement in the very end. Because, uh, like, what he did did matter. Right? I saw a lot of people complaining about that, too. It was like, oh, his his final moment in the fight where he pilots that plane, like, did even matter. Like, are you, are you, are you serious? <laughs> Everett Ross gets in that plane, I mean, hologram plane, holo hologram plane, but whatever. Like, he, he pilots that jet to shoot down the jets that are going to be delivering weapons to America from Wakanda. So, yeah, it's kind of important that he does that. Because even if the war is won and those weapons make it to America, you don't know how, like... I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say. I guess I'm trying to say that, like, the, the plan from Killmonger was that they were going to have these unmanned drones deliver Wakandan weapons to America, to, like, their Wakandan spies throughout the country and throughout the, the world, actually. And those war dogs would be told to, like, pass them out and, like, overthrow America and all these other countries and stuff. But, like, if, if Black Panther won and those weapons were already in America, Black Panther could just send a signal and tell them the plan's off. But I, I guess by that point, it could have been too late. Just the fact that the weapons are in America, like, that by itself is substantial and, and kind of important, because... Unless they can just put the... I don't know. I felt I felt that Everett Ross's, like, place in the final part of the movie was dignified. 
Because j- just the idea of those weapons getting out to the public and just getting outside of Wakanda is dangerous. So, I'll be the one to defend Martin Freeman's place in this movie and his actions in the final scenes of it. Um, now we'll get to one of the two villains for the film. Uh, Andy Serkis as Ulysses Claw. Why? Why did you not give me more of this character? Why did you kill him off? Why, why, why? <laughs> oh my god. It's... Claw was great. Claw was really great. And he was he was great because he was funny and he, he didn't give a fuck. Like, I feel like Claw is one of those relatable villains because he's just like having fun the whole time. Like, he, there's a scene where like he shoots his arm cannon and a bunch of money falls out of the sky and he's like, I made it rain! And, like, there's a joke about him having, like, a SoundCloud account and, like, he actually has, like, uh, a mixtape. Like, that's funny. Like, I don't... I don't know why people would complain about this character being a big joke because, like, he's funny and he's also, like, kind of a legitimate threat because you figure he's been smuggling stuff from, from Wakanda all his life. And, like... He's even got that vibranium, like, hand to, to show it. Like, that sonic cannon. Like, he, he's a neat villain. And and I don't think they kind of overdo... Because in the comics, he's, like, the son of, like, a colonist that came to Wakanda and tried to overthrow it for, like, for like the white people. Um, and I'm glad they don't really include that. I think they make reference to it, but they don't push it too hard. You know, his character isn't there to be like, white supremacy! His character is there to be like, no, I'm just trying to steal your shit and sell it so I can get rich. And I'm gonna have fun doing it. Like, that's it. Like, like sometimes that's all you need to have. Like, like, it's that big difference that makes, like, the Red Skull a better villain than Ronan the Accuser, you know? Like, sometimes it's okay to just be simple and have fun doing it. Um, so yeah, he was cool. Um, again, Kind of disappointed he died, because I know in the comics he becomes, like, a, a super villain, and he becomes, like, this red, sound-based energy life form. You know, with any luck, Thanos will bring him back to life, and we'll get that bizarre uh, version of Claw in the movies. But, again, for, for what it's worth, I think Andy Serkis did a great job, um, especially when you figure Andy Serkis, most of his roles are CGI monsters anyway. Um, so that was cool, that was cool, let's see, and the final character we'll talk about, and it's the one I think we're all kind of waiting for for me to talk about at the fucking 40 minute mark, um, is the villain for the movie, Michael B. Jordan as Njaka, aka Eric Stevens, aka Killmonger, so, his, his deal, his dealio, (laughs) is that his father was T'Challa's uncle, and so his father was the brother of King T'Chaka. His brother was sent to America to, like, be a spy. His father fell in love with an American, African, African-American woman. They had Eric. Um, she died. They don't, I don't think they mentioned what happened. I think she got sick or was shot or something. But she died, and so his father stayed in America to raise him. And his father would tell him, 
all the legends of Wakanda and all the stuff about it. He said he'd take him there one day. Um, and one day, like, you find out that his dad was working with Claw and, like, transporting weapons and vibranium to, like, places on the Earth over the black market. I think just to make money to, like, raise his son, basically. Um, and he was doing this with, like, a partner, and this partner ended up being uh, the Zabi or Zabu or whatever, the, uh, the priest character from before ended up being him. And uh, in retaliation against, like, what his brother's crimes of, like, tra like uh, misusing vibranium and, like, just going against his orders, uh, King T'Chaka, like, killed his own brother. Because I think uh, his brother was going to, like, stab the priest for, like, ratting him out. But, like, this is all kind of shown in the beginning of the movie. They mention it in the middle of the movie, too. But basically this was the origin for Eric. You know, as a nine-year-old kid, he went upstairs and he saw that his dad was dead. And he, he found out later on that, it, that Wakandans killed him. And so his mission became going to Wakanda, seizing the throne, and becoming king. And as time went on, and Eric saw the horrors of America, he saw, like, he saw, you know, what is it, racial violence, he saw war, he was in, like, multi I think he was a Marine, but I know, no, he was U.S. Special Forces, but he was in the Special Forces, he grew a, a talent for killing people, and I think he, like, I, I don't know if they're, like, scars, because, like, they, they just look like bumps on his skin, but, like, he put a scar on his body for every person he killed. And that's why when he takes his shirt off, it looks like he has, like, cheetah spots. Because he's got, like, bumps all over him. Um, is it cheetah or a leopard? I'm going to say a cheetah. Yeah. No, no, jaguar. A jaguar. Because in the comics, uh, Eric Killmonger has a pet jaguar. Um, but he, he would mark himself with the people he killed. And he ended up people, killing so many people in war, he got the, the name Killmonger. Uh, that was basically his Xbox gamer tag. Um, but yeah, he, he, as an adult, he comes to the ph philosophy of, like, the world is twisted and awful, and the only people that can help the world and, like, set it to a new revolution is Wakanda, and that becomes his goal. And, uh, I gotta tell you, like, I'm a bit conflicted, because I definitely liked Killmonger towards the latter end of the movie, when I understood his origin and, like, what his point was and what his goals were. Um, but it was weird because when, when the movie started out, when you first see Killmonger, he's kind of this charming, uh, very intelligent, very learned uh, thief of sorts. And, you know, he, he makes references to kind of, like, the colonizers that stole stuff from Africa, like people and, and culture and stuff. He makes references to that, and again, that was another thing people complained about, but it, that's just his character. You can't say the movie's racist because one character has views that you don't agree with. But, but he references that, and he, and like, you know, it ends up being this whole uh, trick to like steal some vibranium and to steal a mask, because he really liked the mask. <laughs> um, I think it was like a horned creature of sorts, but like, he took it, um, and like, what is it, they like, he's got like a girlfriend that's also, like he's working with Claw and he's working with his girlfriend, uh, like stealing vibranium, 
and that's like the thing that he's doing. And there comes a point where he and Claw are gonna 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 get on a plane, and Claw holds his girlfriend hostage, and Killmonger shoots his girlfriend like cold blooded, and then goes after Claw and, and kills him. And that kind of gives you this idea of like, oh wow, Killmonger is not only just like a traitor to other villains. He also doesn't give a damn about the people that like love or care about him. Like, like he get he again he kills his girlfriend just to like kill Claw. Like that just sets up how bad of a guy this is. Um, and then you, you see the rest of him in this movie, and he comes he becomes this character of like everything he's doing. You probably don't agree with, unless you're a sociopath. Um, you know the stealing. The killing, uh, killing people he cares about, killing people he's worked with, not really caring about tradition and the society of which he inherits by becoming king. He doesn't care about any of that. His goal is just inciting a revolution and giving black people around the world a chance to fight back and take over. He wants to make the whole world like Wakanda, but for the wrong reasons and in the wrong way. And you can agree with him in the fact that Wakanda was stingy about its weapons. You can agree with him that King T'Chaka made the wrong decision in killing his brother and leaving Eric in America with no parents. Um, and, and you can agree with him that, you know, Spider-Man thing here, but like you can agree with him that like with all the power Wakanda has, it's their responsibility to help the rest of the world. But because he's a villain and because he does all these horrible things, you can't agree with him 100% because you're like, oh, but you're killing people. Like, you're you're horribly killing people. And, like, and, and then there's the fact that, like, he, like, um, burns almost the entire crop of heart-shaped fruit, or heart-shaped herbs, that give Black Panthers their powers. So, like, he goes through the tradition, gains the powers of the Black Panther, gets his costume, and then says, alright, all, uh, all those fruit that are for the next generation of Black Panthers, burn them, because I'm not going anywhere. Like, I'm not going to be replaced. And they're like, oh, but it is tradition. We need to keep them around so the next person... There's not going to be a next person. I'm the king. I'm always going to be the king. No one's going to overthrow me. We're not going to do the competitions anymore. I'm king. I'm the only one with the herb. And all this burns. Everything's changing right now. Like, you got to like that. You, you kind of got to like a villain who's like... He takes over a place, and he's like, all right, everything's changing. Like, everything you've known and everything you've been doing, I'm changing that. I'm changing that for my benefit. Um, so yeah, I just, I love Killmonger's character. Again, I think it's kind of justified to say he's probably one of the best Marvel villains. Um, I don't know if I'd say the best, because I have a bias towards Kingpin. Um, but like, I definitely think he's up there. I definitely think he's like, top five. But my problem with Killmonger is that, for one thing towards the, the first half of the movie, he doesn't show up all that often. And one of the complaints I've heard about the film, and I can kind of understand that too, uh, it feels a bit too long. And again, I get that. Um, I didn't really feel that the first time watching it, but maybe, you know, I just I was hypnotized. Um, but it felt a bit too long, and the all this stuff with Killmonger, like, it all came to head at the second half of the film. But towards the first half, you see a little bit of him, and, you know, you're interested in him, but you don't really get that much of him until the second half, um, and I also kind of wish he was a bit more charismatic, 
Like, like in the first scene you see him, he is charismatic, he is charming. And, you know, the evil stuff he does is counterbalanced against how, like, likable of a character he is. Um, but then when he, like, kills Claw and delivers him to Wakanda, then when he, like, challenges Black Panther on, like, the, the mountain fight and, like, quote-unquote kills him, and when he becomes king and, and the final war, through all of that, you don't get that same charm. He, he kind of just becomes angry dictator with violent past. And I kind of wish he still had that charm throughout the movie. Because, like, like, director Ryan Coogler has worked with Michael B. Jordan, like, multiple times. Uh, I, I love Creed, because I love the Rocky movies, and Creed is such a rebirth of a film for me. It's like Rocky Rebirth. It's great. Um, and through, like, the films he's done, like, Coogler has gotten, like, good emotional performances through Michael B. Jordan. I'm convinced those two are, like, blood, uh, blood brothers. Um, but... I kind of wish his charm stayed with him throughout the whole movie because then he wouldn't become, like, kind of generic. And I'm not saying generic... Like, I, I recognize that his motives are unique and interesting and that's what makes him a good villain. Um, but I just kind of wish he still carried that charm and charisma to kind of convey to the audience, like, oh, I know what I'm doing is fucked up and horrible and I'm still going to do it because it's what I believe in, but you're not going to be upset with me. Because you like me. Like, that would make a great... That would make the villain even better. But for what it's worth, the character does come off uh, really well. Again, kind of wish they didn't kill him off. But I did like his death. Uh, the final fight scene between him and Black Panther, we'll talk about that a bit more uh, later. But I, I wasn't a huge fan of it. <laughs> um, his costume was okay, but again, we'll talk about that later. Um... But the main thing I wanted to go out on was, like, his death and, like, the stuff that he says during his death of, like, Black Panther offers to, like, bury him here in Wakanda or something, or, like, bury him with his father or something, and he's like, no, you can, I want you to, uh, to put my ashes in the ocean, because uh, I want to go out just like my ancestors did, my ancestors who knew, um that they would rather die than be shackled, basically. Like, that... That's a strong way to go out for this kind of character, and it, it just shows that he was... He never had a 180 moment. He was the same character throughout the entire film. Even to his death, he was committed in what he believed. And I think that's a really honorable way to go out. I think that's a really good character death. If Thanos starts bringing back villains in Infinity War... I hope he doesn't bring Killmonger back, because, again, I like Michael B. Jordan, I like this character, but that death was so strong, though. <laughs> like, like this isn't Whiplash or Ironmonger. Like, this death had meaning and strength, and it, it just really propelled this villain to, to larger heights. Now, let's talk about the overall message. Um, this will probably be short, because you get it by now. Wakanda is a nation that is closed off from the rest of the world, has all this technology, all this amazing uh culture and 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 stuff <laughs> um it's a leader is a literal superhero it is without a doubt the most advanced and most like the most perfect country on earth and and the whole time it's been around the rest of the world hasn't known it for what it is the rest of the world thought it was just some village um so when they see the rest of the world's in trouble with, like, war and poverty and, and 
neighborhoods in dire need of help. By the end of the movie, T'Challa goes out of his way to fix that and, like, go to America and try to, like, build a Wakandan embassy and rebuild a neighborhood and all this kind of stuff. So, um, I, I like that. <laughs> I, I like the message this movie kind of sends because it's, it, it obviously builds this, this romanticized idea of, like, Oh, what if Africa had, like, a lot of technology and, like, the colonizers never bothered it? You know, what if slavery never happened and Africa could be could build itself into this metropolis? Like, what a neat idea is that? And that is a really cool idea. Because it, it, you know, it's a finger wag at what our, an what our white ancestors did. But it's also, like, a message about America today. Because, you know, for all our faults, America is... The kind of kind of the greatest country on earth. I say that with a lot of hesitation, but it, it kind of is. Um, other than healthcare, I guess. But like, what I'm saying is, America has a lot more resources than like our government wants to let on. Put on your tinfoil hats. <laughs> um, but it, it, just the fact is that America has a lot more power than we know what to do with, and. America does aid other countries, but not every country. And I don't, and America doesn't put everything out on the table to help the rest of the world because we're worried about our own security. And that comes down to Wakanda, too. You know, Wakanda didn't want to help the rest of the world and give it the technology they have because, A, they thought they, the rest of the world would take advantage of the vibranium, and, B, they didn't want their country to be, like, outed and for people to know you know, what Wakanda is, and they didn't want their country to be invaded and have people from other countries come to Wakanda and integrate into our society. With America, we kind of already have that with immigration, but, again, one of the biggest concerns for America and the government and certain people on social, uh, political sides is the security of our country. And when you sacrifice security to kind of build bridges between other countries you leave yourself open for attack. And that's what, you know, we're kind of, that's what America's kind of afraid of. Um, and that's what Wakanda's afraid of as well. At the end of the movie, uh, T'Challa says something that a lot of people kind of took to heart. He says, uh, what is it? Fools build walls, leaders build bridges. Or, no, the wise build bridges, the foolish build walls. But all it, all it was, and I think it's an actual quote from, like, some philosopher, but... Um, that statement by itself just defines Wakanda and the path that T'Challa is going to take, but it also kind of represents the world now, and I don't want to make this, like, zero ground for, for Trump hate, but, like, a lot of people associated that line with the way Trump is running America, and you could see it that way, you could confirm it that way, or you could just look at this thing as a movie and not try to associate it with real life. But I think for what it is, it is a very cultural, social message. Um, you know, aside from, like, the, the jokes from 2014, like, oh, what are those, and the whip-your-hair-back-and-forth jokes, this movie is timeless with its message. I said before, this movie came out at a very critical time, and it got a really critical response because of the time it came out as. But I feel as though when you watch this movie 20 years from now, the message it, it puts out there is still relevant to the world because that's just that's 
that's always how the world's going to be. There's never going to be a time when every country is completely open with one another. Like, world peace is kind of a pipe dream. But the closer we get to that is, is by opening our walls, basically. Um, so I like that message, and I like the timelessness timeless behind it. Now, I mentioned the... I was going to say this during the Shuri bit, but, like, the, the jokes. The, oh, what are those? And the whip your hair back and forth. Um... A lot of people kind of cringed at those because they were like these outdated memes. Um, I think there is an obvious defense to this in, in like in canon and both in writing. So if you saw the memes as like, oh, Black Panther's so cringy with its meme jokes, so dumb, trying to relate to the the hip youth and and trying to be social in the now. I'm doing a lot of quotations when I'm saying these words, but like a lot of people complain like, oh, it's trying to appeal to like the the, the hip young community with its memes. Shut up. Shut the fuck up. The character... The fucking character that says, What are those? Is a 16-year-old girl. So... So, the movie's not appealing to that demographic by saying, What are those? And trying to get all those meme bits. No. They put that in there because Shuri's a teenage girl who likes dumb meme jokes. And... And to whip your hair back and forth... Like, that was Nakia, a character that has visited multiple countries, including America, and just knows that. It just knows that joke. Like, it's not like an American came out and said that. It's not like American... It's not like American people are, like, satirized in this movie of always making cringy jokes. The characters that make these cringy, outdated jokes are characters who are aware of American culture. So they're not getting it from themselves, they're getting it from us. And, and like, as far as a writing reason, I, I would bet money, I'd put down a $5 bill right now, because that's all I have, um, that this movie was, like, the first draft of this film was in, like, 2014, or 2015, or 2016. Like, I, I would, I wouldn't, I, I, that's probably on the Google. I'm not going to look it up right now, because I don't want to be proven wrong. But that's what I think. I think as far as the whip your hair back and forth, and the what are those, the, the shoe meme, like that, my logic behind that is that that was in the rough draft from, like, 2015, and they just kept that in because back then it was funny. Now it's outdated, but back then it was funny. Now, in-universe, if we had to build some kind of logic reason as to why Wakandans make outdated meme jokes, my belief is that Wakandans are the most advanced people on the Earth with technology and culture and health and science and all that stuff. They're the most advanced people on the Earth except for one thing... And that is their meme culture. I think that that Wakanda is like two or three years behind on memes. Like right now, they're still laughing about Pepe. Like that's what I believe. Like, what the thing that keeps Wakanda from being perfect is that they are not updated on their memes. That's what I believe. <laughs> um, but speaking of stuff that got criticism and stuff that I can actually kind of agree with, some of the effects in this movie aren't finished, uh, aren't super great. Um, the waterfall mountain fight, like, the, the setup for that was really cool, because you, sh you show a bunch of Wakandans on boats, hitting, like, metal drums with their vibranium spears, it sends shockwaves through the water, which activates, like, these walls that come up and block off water, which opens up this hill for a big fight scene. It's, it's a really cool setup, a really cool, um, set piece. But again, most of this movie is in CGI, so... When you see all the Wakandans on the mountaintop cheering and watching T'Challa fight, 
you're gonna see some weird effects. They're aren't, they aren't gonna look like real people. You might see some like copy and paste here and there, um, but it's not awful. It's not it's not Green Lantern awful. Um, what was the other one? What was the other kind of complaint? Um, there's a lot of fight scenes. At least like a two. There's like one fight scene. Like it's like the first fight scene in the movie with Black Panther is shot in the dark, like in the middle of the night. So most of the light you have comes from the moon and from the gunfire of people trying to shoot Black Panther. So that kind of sucks because you don't get a lot of view of the choreography. Um, and again, like the the actual fight scenes, of the choreography in this movie are awesome. They're really great. Um, I love the fight scene with uh, Okoye in, like, the casino. Uh, you know, the big final battle between Wakandan's forces at the end. That was cool. Um, but, like, with T'Challa in that first fight scene as Black Panther in the middle of the night, like, it, you needed more lighting there. Like, you could have established, like... Because it, it was in, like, some, like, African jungle. Like, you could have that be outside the jungle just a little bit so that there's, like, um... Like light, like light posts up somewhere, or you could have had more headlights on. You could have had guys with flashlights just be more potent with the, with the light that they're shining. Um, but you needed more light in that scene. You couldn't see enough of the fight. It came off like a Nolan Batman scene. Um, and then the the final fight between T'Challa as Black Panther and uh, Killmonger as a Black Panther. Uh, Killmonger's costume, as you've seen it, is kind of like a golden jaguar costume, which again, is reference to, in the comics, he had a pet jaguar that was like his, his loyal companion. But, yeah, that final scene between Black Panther and Black Panther, if he was evil, um, I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. Um, the, the actual war scene was okay. Like, everything, everything with Everett Ross in the, like, uh, the drone plane was cool, uh, the fight between Wakandan forces, like, the, the, the female guards fighting, like, war rhinos and stuff, that was really fun, um, getting to see the border tribe, like, put up shields and, like, throw boomerangs and stuff, that was really cool, uh, Shuri and, and Nadia fighting, like, again, the whole war scene was pretty cool, it was some pretty cool action, but, uh, one of the complaints I've heard, and I kind of agree with this too, during the part where Black Panther's fighting members of the Border Tribe, uh, it's... It could have been done better if the vibranium was, like, shut off, basically. Like, because the problem with the final fight is that when Black Panther goes into this final fight, he's not any weaker than when he started out. He's already got another heart-shaped herb. He's got his Black Panther costume. Where is the challenge for him, right? Um... And again, he has the ability to, like, project force fields of kinetic energy now because of the vibranium. So, if you had done something like, I don't know, uh... In the comics, there's this thing called, like, Shadow Theory, I think it's called. But it's this type of energy that allows you to shut off the effects of vibranium and just make it a regular metal. Um, so I think if they had incorporated that and just, like... If Killmonger found a way to, like, nullify the effects of vibranium in that location and just kind of turn all the regular all the vibranium weapons into regular weapons you could have a saved a bit on the budget and b give the fight a bit more stakes because now everyone's depowered black panther doesn't have the advantage of shooting energy waves or like bouncing back certain attacks like he has to physically fight members of the of the border tribe 
and you get more choreography. And, and, and that fight scene is in the middle of the day, so everyone's going to see all the, all the work you put into the fight scenes. Especially, like, after Creed. Like, Creed's big claim to fame was a boxing match that was all one shot. So, if you had, you know, incorporated a little bit of that choreography and imagination into that final fight scene, it would have been better in that case. Um, and then there's the actual fight between T'Challa and, uh, and, and Killmonger. Where <clears throat> they're in the Vibranium Mine, they're fighting each other on like a Vibranium Train... And, you know, between the their fight, they have to stop fighting and break apart because one of those trains is coming by. Um, I don't know how I felt about that because, again, it, it kind of felt like a big CGI mess. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I feel like you could have done more with that because, like, the whole film kind of pushed these new original ideas, a new environment, a new cultural, uh, a new culture, and a new idea, you know, new concepts in the Marvel Universe. And the final fight is just, like, a good guy and then a dark version of the good guy fighting. And that's kind of a letdown. Um, I don't know. If they had gone maybe deeper into the Vibranium Mine, I don't know. Because <laughs> the Vibranium Mine is a cool set piece and everything. If they're, like, jumping from rail to rail or they're fighting on top of one of the train cars, or even if they just wound up in, like, the middle of a mine and, like, picking up chunks of vibranium and hitting them against each other. Like, even that would have been kind of cooler, because, you know, what is the centerpiece of this whole movie but vibranium? And to have the final fight scene be in the mine and be kind of integral to the mine uh, would have been really cool. But, you know, for what it's worth, the final fight scene was, like, entertaining, I guess, but it felt like a bit too safe of a wrap-up for this movie. I feel like you could have done a fight scene with bit more intrigue, a bit more jumping around, a bit more action, uh, something a bit more entertaining than just two guys fighting on, like, a train track, um, and, and even if they were, like, depowered, they didn't have their suits or their powers, even then the fight would have been better because you know they're both depowered and they're both weaker, and it comes down to actual skill, um, which, you know, would have been kind of poetic, because, of course, like, the reason Killmonger becomes king is because he fights... T'Challa on, like, a, a fair fight. T'Challa doesn't have a suit or his powers, and the two of them fight as men, and Killmonger defeats him. So, to have a final fight scene in the Vibranium Mine where, like, both of their Black Panther suits aren't working, so they just, like, take them off, or maybe just take off the mask of them, um, and their powers aren't working for whatever reason, maybe, maybe again, they took that elixir that undoes the heart-shaped herb and you know, someone injects both them. Just, just some reason so that the final fight scene is parallel to Killmonger beating Black Panther the first time. You show that now that he's back and he's alive and he feels the pressure of his kingdom on his back, T'Challa fights harder and defeats Killmonger without using his powers or his weapons. You know, that that's always an appealing thing for me when you strip away the powers and the armor and you look at the man behind all that and you see how strong he could become just by putting his mind to it. Uh, I think that would have made a much more compelling last fight. I'll try to blitz through these last couple parts, because then we're over an hour. Um, the the technology, again, really interesting. Uh, Vibranium seems like the do-it-all, wonder-all of this universe, and I think that's really cool. Um, kind of excited. I'm excited to see 
Vibranium incorporated into the rest of the Marvel Universe now that Wakanda's kind of open to helping other nations. Um, again, Civil War, or not Civil War, uh, Infinity War, we're probably going to get uh, Vibranium Iron Man armor. I think we've seen a little bit of it. Heroes are using Vibranium weapons, so that's a really cool concept. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing Vibranium take on different, like, shapes and forms and affect the rest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That's a cool element introduced. Um, I'm interested to see, like, if any Wakandan kind of sorcery and, like, mysticism comes into play in the future. And then, and then the thing I really want to give credit to is just the world of Wakanda. Because it, it kind of in, like, a Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones kind of setting, like, in this one movie, you've set up an entire world. And, like, it's, it's not like Guardians of the Galaxy, where, like, oh, space, isn't that interesting? Isn't that cool? Isn't that fun? And it's not like Asgard, because, you know, Asgard is this entire realm, and it's a golden city, and, oh, isn't it amazing? But you don't really know much about Asgardians, and, like, their culture, and, and what they believe and stuff. You know, is, is every Asgardian technically a god? Could they all kill us if they all came down to Earth? Like, what is the deal with Asgardians? Um, but with Wakanda, you get everything you need to know. Like, here's how Wakanda was formed, here's how Vibranium got here, uh, this is why we have different tribes, this is why we have all this advanced technology, this is what we believe in, this is our king, there. Like, crash course, <laughs> you give people a crash course on Wakanda, while also leaving avenues open to be explored. Because, again, we see Wakanda, we see the people of Wakanda, which I appreciate, but we don't see all the nooks and crannies. We don't know what kind of, like, organizations or schools or, like, you know, what individuals in Wakanda do. You know, there could be a Wakandan who's actually, like, a, a terrorist, and it, it becomes a, a villain in the future movies or something. Like, I do hope the next movie focuses more on the Wakandan people and their, and their life. Because, again, first movie, what is it about, you know, opening up Wakanda to the rest of the world? Next movie, show how Wakandans react to that. How, how, th how do they react to, oh, secrets out, you guys aren't special anymore, you're part of the rest of the world, deal with it. Like, oh. But Wakanda was great. Wakanda was like heaven, and now you you soiled it by letting people in. Like show those reactions. Um, so in terms of that, Wakanda is just an amazing location with a lot of inspired art. And like, despite my complaints about some of the scenes being too dark and action scenes being too CGI, it is a very colorful city with a very like culturally mixed kind of uh, architecture. Like there's. There's, like, buildings that have the appearances of, like, trees and shacks, and I think that's really awesome. Um, but, like, again, I, I could spend a whole lot of time just praising how Wakanda looks and everything it offers and all the different, like, places in Wakanda. Uh, but I would just say, like, Wakanda feels very, very real for a very kind of uh, suspended disbelief kind of setting. So I, I really like the way it was shown. In terms of the future, I wouldn't mind seeing M'Baku become a bit of a villain. Maybe, you know, coming back to being a hero. Just kind of going through a personal arc like that. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing Nakia become a villain. But again, I think she does better as a sporting character. Uh, I'm hoping to see more kind of mysticism in the next couple of movies. Because I know one of Black Panther's defining traits is that he can communicate with the dead. Specifically his ancestors. He isn't a necromancer or anything, but he can talk to the dead. So I kind of want to see more of those paranormal powers from Black Panther. Um, I think in the comics, especially recently, um, 
some members of the like elite guard of female warriors, uh, they get like warbird armor or something. They become like basically Valkyries of Wakanda. Like that is a really cool concept. I kind of want to see that. Um, but like in terms of like sequel stuff, I want to see. I think his name's Akabi. He is like essentially imagine if there was a Wakandan version of the Joker. That's what that character is. I want to see him be a very kind of down to earth very, like, psychological threat to Black Panther. Uh, I want to see, kind of, Bucky be in the second movie and be kind of, like... Because in, in, um, at the end of the movie, in, like, the post-credits, they show Bucky and they refer to him as the White Wolf. In the comics, the White Wolf was, like, this white boy adopted into Wakanda and raised as, like, um, the queen's other son and raised next to T'Challa. So it would be really cool if in the second movie... Bucky lived in Wakanda, and, like, people saw him differently and didn't like him, but T'Challa was like, no, this man is my brother. Like, he helped me. We're on the same side. Like, I, I hope that kind of happens. Like, because Infinity War is going to happen, I assume Bucky would maybe save Black Panther's life, and Black Panther would be like, hey, if you want to live in Wakanda for a while, I'm totally cool with that. Like, that that would be a cool premise for the second film. Because, uh, again, you have that outsider character, but you also have a team-up you've never seen before between Winter Soldier and Black Panther. Um... Oh, I want to see... In the comics, there was this character... Uh, I think his name is like Cole something. Or Cole Kelly or something. Uh, Casper. Yeah, Casper Cole, right? Was a half-black, half-Jewish American who was a cop in New York. And he ends up finding a Black Panther costume while Black Panther's in America. And Cole becomes like this vigilante Black Panther in New York for a little while. I don't want to see this character become Black Panther in, like, the second movie, but I would love for there to be, like, a scene or some extended, like, act where T'Challa has to go to America, he meets a cop that is Casper Cole, and the two of them kind of build, like, a buddy relationship. Uh, especially because I want Casper Cole to be played by, uh, Ice-T, because I know Ice-T loves Black Panther, and Ice-T's been playing a cop on television since, you know, the I think 2005 or something. He's on SBU, so... Uh, I think he can kind of fit that role really nice. It would be a nice little reference to all that stuff. But, uh, yeah, those are just some, some basic ideas. I know I'm releasing a post on the blog spot of ideas for, like, the second Black Panther movie. So look forward to that if you're really interested. And uh, ending it all up, we'll have a, uh, a general gr uh, grading for this film. Um, I'm going to give it a, an A. Uh, again, the, the only kind of negativity I have towards the film are some character aspects some effect work, but I think generally the movie does a great job at delivering its message, multiple messages. Um, it does a great job of handling characters and how they bounce off of each other, and it does a great job of showing showing a world that is beyond disbelief, but you want to be real. And you want to be real because it's idealized, but it's not perfect. And I think that's kind of a good message for this movie. This movie is idealized, but it's not perfect. It has places it can go, it has places it can grow, and and move toward, and move forward, whatever. Um, you know, it's a film that has need for improvement, but for what it is, it, it knows what it is, and it does what it, do it wants to do perfectly fine. So again, Black Panther gets a solid A from me. It's a really great Marvel movie. It's, it's probably in my top ten by now. Again, I'm probably going to be updating my Marvel ranked list. Um, but I loved it. I haven't seen it twice. I really, I gotta see it again with my dad. 
So if I have any further thoughts, I'll make them clear on the on the blog spot. But just an excellent movie, uh, an excellent message, and even if you're not going in for all the cultural and like world relative message, if you're not going in for like the the meaning of the movie, you just want to see a good superhero movie. That's what this movie can do for you. So, Black Panther, definitely go see if you haven't saw it, saw it already. Uh, really excellent. Really looking forward to Black Panther in, in Infinity War, which comes out uh, April twenty seventh. So, you know, I want to get this out of the way before that movie comes out because I know I've been I've been kind of slacking on reviews lately. Um, so yeah, love Black Panther. Thank you guys for listening. I know it was a long review, but I really hope you appreciated the detail and some of my thoughts on the film. Uh, go to panelbuyer.podbean.com for all the podcasts we release. Go to the panelbuyer.blogspot.com uh, for everything I write. And the panelbuyer is on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, so follow us there. And uh, I'll see you guys next time. Thanks for listening.